Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Good morning again. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 primarily, but I'm also going to, I'm going to start in uh, chapter 11. I'm going to read a passage there just to put some context on Paul's message in chapter 1. So I guess what I want to say is when we read a book, we often think of it written, written uh, chronological, uh, but chapter 1 exists because chapter 11 already existed. Okay, so when we read these two passages of Scripture especially, I want us to notice that chapter 11, Paul is actually giving as an illustration of some things that have already occurred. And so Paul didn't complain nearly as often as he could have gotten away with complaining. But every now and then he would use the affliction and the pain in his life as an illustration that Paul put his money where his mouth is. And that he's not speaking from some platitude or some place that he didn't really understand difficulty. Because every church that he traveled in, every community that he established churches in, they were struggling because of their faith. They were hurting because of, they were experiencing consequences of their faith and the difficulties of day-to-day living just because they called themselves after Christ's name. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Paul will go a little step further if you continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says, uh, not to mention the burden or my care for the churches. So Paul primarily in this passage of Scripture is talking about physical consequences, physical affliction that results somewhat from, you know, you, you can't experience physical affliction without it becoming emotional and mental along the way. And you also, then Paul is talking about the care for the churches because there's a spiritual burden given the oversight of the well-being of the body of Christ when people do pretend to be something and they're not or they make a, a decision that you know is not in their best interest. And as brothers and sisters, I know we understand that in part and I'm not trying to be a big sad story, but part of the spiritual gifting of the pastor is caring 
very, very deeply. And almost everybody's burden and everybody's affliction and everybody's progress and everybody's setbacks you take incredibly personally. And, and, uh, and that's something that really can't be explained uh, apart from the, the spiritual gifting. And so that's why pastors get together and commiserate so well is because it's just different. And I don't mean to be ugly, but Paul includes not only am I struggling, have struggled physically, but there's also this spiritual struggle that takes place as well because of faithfulness to Christ. So how does Paul get through all that? All Paul is really trying to tell them is not, feel sorry for me. What Paul is trying to tell them is, I have experienced my sort of affliction. If you think you're smart, I'm smarter. If you think you're uh, uh, well-educated, I'm better educated. If you think that you have, whatever the pinnacle of success is, Paul has different times said, but look what tribe I was from. But look what group I was from. Look what education I was from. Look at the power and influence that I had. Oh, and you think that you're struggling for your faith? Let me just tell you what it looks like to struggle for your faith. So, oh, and by the way, Paul, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, and you think you're a bad sinner? Well, I'm the worst one. So Paul had this real comparison problem where if you think it's bad for you, you know, he's one of those guys that would say, well, let me tell you about bad. And he would take a bad room, you know, one of those bad vibe rooms, and he would tank it. Uh, or if you had just experienced some well, good promotion that you've been well-deserved of, Paul would say, you think that's a good promotion? Let me tell you what happened to me. So uh, he's uh, what we would call one-upper in this passage of Scripture. But the scars on his back testified that he's got the stories to tell. Okay, now let's shift back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. Now remember, all of these things have already happened to Paul. So he's not writing this and then going to have to experience it. He's already experienced it. So I say all of that because it's so important for us to recognize that Paul is writing from experience. This isn't some cliched statement where someone would get up and speak superlatives and, and you know, exonerating words of affirmation having never gone through anything. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of how much comfort? All comfort. Okay, Who comforts us in how much? All our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I'm not an English major, but there are 300 better ways of writing that in English. <laughs> Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There's one thing here that stands out. I think one word here that stands out much further than any other word. Is one word gets our attention and then keeps our attention and commands our attention, and the word is comfort. In fact, in the English Standard Version, which I just read that from, uh, that word is found ten times just in these uh, four or five verses. So this is about comfort, and in a lot of translations, 
uh, the synonym for comfort, which is consolation. In fact, I think it's the King James, the New King James, that actually uses the word consolation instead of comfort. But this is not just any kind of comfort. This is, uh, this is not the comfort in general. This is not my bed that I slept in last night was lumpy kind of comfort. This is not the, you know, I don't like to get out in the cold and pump my own gas kind of comfort. All right? This is the comfort of the very highest degree. This is, there are, there, nothing can, can solve the dilemma. This is the pressure to the bitter end kind of comfort that Paul is talking about. What will be comforted? Everything, right? There, in Christ, there is not an experience that can't receive His comfort. There does not exist an affliction that cannot be comforted by Him. Now, the Lord is teaching me some things, okay? Uh, these, are, uh, these are things that I am learning over a period of time. And so as the Lord teaches them, I'm trying to put them into our DNA. So to some degree, there are some of these things that I know that you, you might get tired of. Yeah, yeah, we get that. But it's important for us to get this into our DNA because the Lord keeps teaching I would say, us, these things. And so when I, when I start out, you're going to say, oh, I've already heard this, and I heard it on Wednesday, and I hear it. On... But just be patient, because it will matter, all right, in the a, in a long run. There's part of it you haven't heard yet. So when God created us, we can experience His comfort in every area that we are. We are flesh, we are mind, emotion, uh, my, uh, heart, uh, wheel, the, those sorts of things, uh, personality, and we are spirit. Now, for those of you who have not heard this before, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find that we are to love the Lord our God with how much of our heart? We are to love the Lord our God with how much of our mind? And we are to love the Lord our God with how much of our might, our, our bodies? All. Okay, this is echoed in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus tells us the exact same thing. It's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord our God with all of our, our heart or our spirit, the part of us that is alive in Christ. To love the Lord our God with all of our thinking and our mind and our emotion and our intellect and our personality should reflect the life of Christ. And we should love the Lord our God with all of our strength, all of our might, all of our bodies. We should love the Lord. And so we are to love the Lord in all three arenas that we are. And so in all three arenas, we can experience affliction. And so what Paul is saying to us is in every arena that we can love in, we can also and will experience affliction in. But the good news is, is even though we're going to be afflicted, there is comfort for every arena of life. So when before I was a Christian, the Bible tells us that we are dead spiritually. That's a product of the carnal nature that we receive from Adam. Because Adam fell away, we are falling away before we even take our first breath. Even while we are conceived in the womb, we are already, we have a sin nature. So the spiritual part of me that's created in the image of God is dead. And we carry that dead spirit with us. And the spirits that are dead will experience uh, uh, separation from the Father for all eternity. If it goes into judgment dead, it will experience uh, eternal death. That doesn't mean not being aware, because even in our mind, Ecclesiastes says that we are created with eternity in our hearts. 
Which means that every now and then, now listen closely, every now and then, eternity in my heart means that from time to time, my synapses are going to fire. Because in my heart, I still have this created in... So people say, uh, you know, we're all just God's children. You know, we're all God's children. Well, listen to Do you hear from here? If you hear this first from me, you've heard it. We are not all God's children. All right? We are not all God's children. The Bible says that when our spirits are dead, we are sons of disobedience, children of wrath, children of darkness. And see, in fact, Jesus himself went so far as to say that our father is Satan, the devil, the father of lies. So when my spirit is dead, I am not a child of God. But I am created in the image of God, which means in my, in my heart... I know that there's eternity. That part still exists. So from time to time when I experience, you know, stick my finger in a light socket or something like that, some of these afflictions along life, when there's just shock to your system, a death, a frustration, some sort of a wound that you carry, there's these sparks that fly that say, this isn't the end, there's something else. We would say there's brokenness in our hearts. So when we experience this brokenness, there's a part of us that cries out, there must be something better. There must be something more. And this is God's gift to us that allow these things to trigger from time to time, right? That's why sometimes bad things happen to cause us to think. So when I am dead in my spirit, my mind has only one option, and that is to listen to my flesh. And my flesh screams, uh, to please itself. My flesh really doesn't know anything other than that. It is very, very selfish. And I say that with a great deal of confidence because I know your flesh is too. And so in the flesh, we, we are slaves to ourselves. Every now and then we have this prick of our conscience. We have this little dose of anxiety or this little, this little spark of consciousness that says there's got to be something more. And when we respond to that, we take a step toward truth and another step toward truth. And before long, we recognize that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the hope of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except by Him. We place our trust and our faith in Him. And immediately, He gives us the ministry of the Holy Spirit that fills me up. And this is born again. So, I was born here, and now I am born again. That's why Jesus said, if you're only born of water, you've got to be born of water and of spirit. Born, born. Born once, born twice. So now, this is alive. All right. So, now my mind has finally has a choice not to follow the flesh, but to be able to listen to the Spirit. So, all right, so all of this we've already talked about time and time again. And so now that my mind can, 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 can listen to the Spirit, the Spirit really only says one thing, and it is always saying, remember who Jesus is. And that's really the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember who Jesus is. So when I am in my mind and I'm trying to make a decision, if I listen to the Spirit, the Spirit would say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? What would Jesus be? How would Jesus feel? Constantly reminding me of Jesus. That's why it is so important not to, not to quench the Holy Spirit because when you quench the reminder of Jesus Christ, boy, you are wide open to the flesh. We know what the flesh is going to say. The flesh is going to give you permission to do whatever it is that you want. 
So in my spirit, I, I must pay attention to that. All right, so when I was a slave to my flesh, my spirit was afflicted. It was groaning, looking for redemption, groaning for that, looking for hope and reconciliation with the Father. And as long as I live in the flesh, my spirit's afflicted. But it would make sense to me that when I give myself to the Spirit and I'm listening and obedient to the Spirit, that the opposite would be true. The flesh then begins to be afflicted. So let me break it down this way. I want you to think of like test tubes. And we're filling up test tubes here for a moment. So in this side, this is the Spirit. This test tube is filled with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't have any option. It is the righteousness of Christ. Always, always tap to the full. This, the mind, is in flux. Rising and lowering, right? This is why uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, Christ must increase. And we're talking about the way that we think, the way that we process, the way that we come across. So I should be constantly listening to the Spirit as I am. I think less blame. I, I feel less blame. I, process, I emote less blame. All of the, my agenda is less blame, all of this less, 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 and it is filled more and more with Christ. My flesh, that's just full on blame, right? I mean, it's completely full. So as these go, these go. Now, so in the flesh, my spirit was afflicted, but it is the Lord's anticipation for our life. That we would be Christ-like in every arena. The life of Christ, the power of His resurrection, goes all the way through, right? Where He experiences what Jesus was raised bodily. He's coming back bodily. So it affects the Christ-likeness, affects our physicality. It affects the mind of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in us. Okay? So if my... Flesh, if I'm only interested in the comfort of my flesh, I am never going to remember Jesus if I'm constantly paying attention to the comfort of the flesh. Make sense? I mean, think about your prayer life. When we pray, what do our prayers consist of? It's praying about things that are occurring in the flesh. Give me more, make me more, promote me more. Sick, 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 sick. Everything's about the flesh. And as I pay attention to the flesh, I'm driven to, to promote the flesh. And so what the Lord does in His goodness, not in His anger, but in His goodness, is allow us to experience affliction in our bodies. Because I can tell you that when my body is afflicted, I pay it a lot less attention. If somebody in your life is afflicted and they're trying to recruit you into their affliction, you're going to say, you're out of your mind, I'm just fine out here. So as long as my body is afflicted, I'm probably not going to be such a slave to it. And so the Lord allows us to experience seasons and times of affliction physically so that we will pay more attention to the Spirit. And while we are experiencing affliction in our bodies, He is perfecting Christ-likeness even in our bodies. 
over and over we find this in Scripture, in Scripture about the sufferings of Christ and looking like Christ and being conformed to the image of Christ. All of this, is we learn this through suffering. We talked a little bit about that last week. So I say all that to say this. The real decision maker is right here in the mind. But when we, start, when we are carnal Christians, when we are moderate at best, when our flesh starts barking at problems, so many of us start paying way too much attention and trying to create comfort for it. Now, let's go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 again. So, now that my spirit is whole, it used to be afflicted, now my flesh is afflicted. But I'm learning Christ-likeness as a result of that. So the goal of affliction is not to get out of it. The goal of affliction is to learn what is the Father performing in me to make me more like Christ. So what Paul would teach us in this passage of Scripture is, if there is affliction, for every affliction, there's comfort. Now, you, we would say that if every affliction, God should just get us out of the affliction. Why in the world would He allow affliction in my life? He should just be making roses in my you know, I mean, life, I don't know why we only say that, because I've bled many times as a result of roses. Um, tulips, how's that? That's better. We can even tiptoe through those. Uh, so, so, so watch, this, watch this before we move on. So watch this in, in comfort. So if I am afflicted in my flesh, and I'm seeking fleshly comfort... This comfort will always be artificial. It's fake. It's temporary at best. So if I'm experiencing things in this world, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go. I'm not talking about medical treatment and all that. Please read read through all of that. But I'm talking about wishing so hard to avoid conflict and affliction or to, to satisfy the affliction with some... Well, it's not an accident that so many people, instead of turning to the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the flesh... Turn to southern comfort in the flesh. It's an artificial... Ooh, that was a groan. I heard that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's no surprise that it's a substitute. It's artificial. It's temporary. It will appease the flesh for a moment. But it's not the kind of comfort that God is talking about here because it is the highest degree. It is a comfort that satisfies and is permanent. Once you're comforted with it, you can build off of that comfort. It's a very, very specific word. So we suffer in our bodies because of our attachment to Him, but we also are consoled in our bodies because of our attachment to Him. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, same book, beginning in verse 18. It says, And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is our ministry? Reconciliation. But wait a minute. This is a different word. The ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 1 says that the Father, through the Spirit, performs the ministry of consolation. So we are consoled so that we can give that consolation away for reconciliation. It passes. His comfort passes through us. We are comforted 
so that we may comfort. If we are comforted in the flesh for the flesh's sake, it is for our comfort. But when we are comforted in our flesh by the Holy Spirit, it is for the sake of those around us to be able to pass that comfort along. Verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Well, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this, the meaning of the word comfort in this context is help of the highest order, of the highest sort. Now, in John chapter 14, you can either take a note there or write it in on your bulletin or in your apps or, uh, or, or turn to John chapter 14, verse 16. And as Jesus is about to leave His disciples, He tells them this in verse 16, I will pray the Father and He will give you another... Anybody remember? Helper. Helper, it's the same word. So when he tells us that we have been comforted, parakletos, it is the same word that Jesus said, when I go, I'm going, the Father is going to send you a parakletos, a comforter, a helper. And so we have been helped so that we can help, is what Paul is actually saying here. Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit to them. And He actually says the Holy Spirit as a primary objective is comfort. Listen, when I am, as a Christian, speaking only as a Christian here, when I experience trauma in my life, the Holy Spirit in me whispers to every arena that I am, remember who Jesus is. And I experience comfort. When I experience loss and I grieve, whether from a death or a relationship or whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit whispers, do you tell me what He says? Remember Jesus. And I experience His comfort. As a Christian, when I am in sin and I'm experiencing a moment that is not to the glory of God, the Holy Spirit whispers to me, what does he say? Remember Jesus. And I'm convicted. So the Holy Spirit has one umbrella that he holds, and that is, remember who Jesus is. And as he does that, it is the ministry of comfort to my flesh. So if, if in the flesh I am experiencing affliction, my flesh experiences comfort as I listen to the Holy Spirit remind me of who Jesus is. The same is true in my mind. The same is true in my spirit. So I say all of that to say this. When the Lord says to us that He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, when Paul says that the comfort that you have received is a comfort you are to pay ahead, what he is saying is that when you are experiencing difficulty, there is more comfort for you than your affliction. That's great news. There will never be an affliction that you will not at least have equal parts comfort available to you. It doesn't mean you're going to experience it. You will only experience it when it's through the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, that's one of the reasons why a lot of Christians flail in their faith is because they're looking for some substitute comfort. So you will never experience a difficulty or a pain or a discomfort that there's not more comfort for from the Spirit. And as you receive that, as a minister of reconciliation, 
Your word, your pain, your affliction is to be used as an opportunity to give the Holy Spirit away wherever you go. To speak the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this closely. What does the Holy Spirit say? This is not, I mean, just surely, we're not goldfish. We got to do better than 12 seconds. What does the Holy Spirit say? Remember who Jesus is. So when we are comforted, what are the words the Holy Spirit says to us? And you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so as we are dealing with people who are in crisis and brokenness and all of those sorts of things, what is the ministry on our lips? Remember who Jesus is. The only way that I can help you remember who Jesus is is I have a memory of who Jesus is in my pain. That's my motivation. I know how the Holy Spirit has comforted me. And I know that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. So, here, so here's some mistakes that we make. And we'll give you both sides of, of the pain. Let's say you've been through a difficulty. You've been comforted. Somebody that you, that's somebody that's in your sphere of influence or opportunity to speak to has... Uh, has experienced the same loss or same affliction you've experienced. One of the things that we want to do is we want to go to them and we want to tell them our story. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. There's no greater time that that is abused than in people's darkest moments. When well-meaning people come up and try to say, I know how you feel. Listen, I mean this with all the love I can muster. Your story does not have the power of comfort. You can empathize with people. Your story doesn't comfort people. The ministry of the Holy Spirit comforts people. The best thing you can do is be in the room and say what? And let me tell you how I remember who Jesus is because I know the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and He's here. He's here with you now. I just want to remind you and be encouraged that the Lord is a comforter. It's funny to me that every... You know how often the Scripture says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted? I can tell you, I've been brokenhearted. That's when I feel Him least. And it's in those moments where I am able to remind myself that He is near to the brokenhearted and I believe that by faith. I believe it by faith. Not because I feel it in my feelings. So... I'm going to believe God's word instead of how I feel in my moment. He is near to the brokenhearted. That just means that sometimes the Lord is in the room and He doesn't say anything. Sometimes when we experience pain and difficulty, we ought to just be in the room and let the Holy Spirit do the work. When you put your arm around somebody and you tell them that you know how they feel, let me tell you my story. Your story doesn't heal people. But the work of the Holy Spirit through you will do that. The other side of that is true too. I'm going to talk about it from the other perspective. There are so many times that we experience affliction. We experience wounds. We experience difficulties. And the first thing we we do is we want to go into our peer group and talk about how badly we've been done. How hurt we really are. Some terrible tragedy that's occurred and we just... All we're doing, we're not looking for healing there. We're looking for commiseration. 
We're looking for people who will say, oh, listen, you're so precious. So, so. And there is a comfort that comes from the pats on the back. But it's temporary because you know well as I do, as soon as you move into that next peer group, you've got to tell that story all over again and get that same sympathy. No, the answer is, is that the comfort that you receive must come from the Spirit. And so when we experience wounds, the very first place we should go is our prayer closet. And we give our wounds to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fills us up. And we are becoming more like Christ, and we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and we're learning more about what it looks like to suffer with Jesus Christ. So the good news is, of all of that, is there are things that you have gone through that other people go through. There's things, there's pains, there's wounds that you have gone through that other people are going through. You're one step ahead of them. Some, some of us are going to experience things that we've not experienced yet. There's people in this room that have already experienced things that we've not experienced yet. They're one step ahead of us. That's why we ought to be encouraging each other constantly in faith and reminding each other of who Jesus is. There are times of difficulty and frustration. And I know that we want to vent. And we want to share. We want to, we want to find the sympathy of the pain. And we want, to, we want other people to feel sorry for us. And there's a comfort involved in that. But remember, it's temporary. It's temporary comfort. It won't last long. So what we ought to do is when we experience affliction is we ought to give that to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to heal us. And as He heals us, our life becomes a walking tribute of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to start finding people walking in your pathway that have experienced the same pains as you experience because that same pain is necessary for the Lord to perfect Christ in them in the flesh as well. But it doesn't have to be your story. It's just, if you are the central character of your pain story, you're telling it wrong. The Holy Spirit is the central character. He's the healer. And as Paul tells us here, the Father actually is the one who allows the affliction to begin with. It all belongs to Him. So rather than settling for a less than perfect comfort, may we run into the Holy Spirit where we are full and give our affliction to Him. Be informed in our minds so that then we can be a blessing to those around us that are hurting. This word is interesting, this word help. Uh, it, it actually is, a, is, is almost, a, it's not a parenting word, but, I, well, just, let, me just, let me just teach it and then we'll, we'll move on. It has two different meanings to it. So this, this, this may work and this may not. So if it doesn't, just say, man, that was, we tried that. Uh, those of us who have been parents, especially, there's no doubt that everybody in here has watched parents do these sorts of things. So I'm going to give you a quick illustration and we'll just see if it lands and I might be wrong. Uh, well, I'm not wrong in my opinion. <laughs> uh, uh, if I were, I'd change my mind. Uh, but we said, uh, uh, so in a, as a parent, anybody ever told your kids not to do something? Okay, let's try it one more time. How many of you have told your kids not to do something, they did it anyway? How many of you have told your kids not to do something, they did it anyway, and it resulted in crying? Okay, so when, wow, uh, when children disobey their parents, don't run in the house, 
They run in the house. They slide right into the corner of the door frame. How many of you kind of reasonable? Okay. Uh, when that happens, most of the time, or we're outside and we say, don't run, you might lose your footing in the gravel. And they fall in the gravel. And they lay there, and you're sitting there talking to all your adult friends, and they're crying, and you, you come over here right now. You sit, you sit right here by me. How many of you? Anybody? You sit right here by me until you learn how to act. Right? Okay, good. <laughs> I thought my kids were going to be all messed up. Uh, <clears throat> how many of you have... Not this exact illustration, but just follow it. Kid falls off of a bicycle. Or you are at a crowded event and somebody brushes by them too fast and they fall and they're little kids or something. They get hurt, but they didn't do anything to cause it. They just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Anybody? As a parent, what do you do? Do you say, come over here and you sit beside me? No, we run to them, right? It's interesting to me that this word that Paul uses uses both of those terms. It is a summoning and a going too. So when the Holy Spirit helps us, it's almost it's one of the reasons why we would call God our Father because He parents us that way. When we do something rebellious, you know what He does? When we do something rebellious, you know what He has done for me? He has said, you, get over here and sit by me till you learn how to act. <laughs> yes, sir. And in some strange ways, think about this, when you're parenting your own kids and they get in extreme trouble and they know they were wrong, they get really clingy. Because some weird way, even though they're in trouble, there is this comfort knowing that they're near their parent. Feel exposed, but yet isolated and insulated. But there are other times when we experience the affliction that's not a result of our rebellion. And the Holy Spirit draws near to us in that affliction. And that's how He helps us. Whether it's your fault or whether it's not your fault. If your affliction is a result of your sin or is a result of the sins of others that you happen to be living in proximity of, it doesn't matter. He's the helper. His help is always available. But you, in His giving us free will, you can choose a substitute comfort that appeals to the flesh. Or you can allow that affliction to help you look more like the righteousness of Christ. And how do you know for sure that you're doing that? You're reminding others how good Jesus Christ is in your life. You don't have to have the perfect testimony. You don't have to have the, the perfect polished story. People, I hear people all the time say things like, I just don't have a good testimony. You know, God didn't deliver me from drugs and I wasn't in an abusive situation and, I didn't, and all of these sorts of things. I just don't have, a te- I don't have a good testimony. You know what a good testimony is? It's God comforts us in all of our affliction. I have benefited from that comfort. And sometimes God uses me as His hands and His voice to help others in that affliction. A lot of times, that's not the identity we want. We don't want people to know about our sin. We don't want people to know about our mistakes, our previous decisions. And so we just sit quietly. And listen, let me tell you, 
Scripture doesn't say this blatantly, but let me tell you what we do when we do that. We're quenching the Holy Spirit's work in our life when we don't testify that He is good in our affliction. Quenching His work in our life. We've not experienced His comfort. So we don't have any comfort to give away. Once you have experienced His comfort, you'll recognize that His comfort is not for you. His comfort was always for Him. Because His comfort comes from Him back to Him through the vein of His glory. Well... Let's look at verse 4. I feel like I need to make a statement about verse 4. We'll read it again. Who comforts us in all of our affliction, we be able to comfort those who are in the affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Uh, if I'm from, I'm from Argolite, Kentucky, and if I would have written this uh, in school, I would have gotten it back with red marks that says redundant. <laughs> If my teacher would have known what redundant meant. Uh, it's all right. I, all my teachers, they, my, they don't have the internet back home, so I'm not worried about them. <laughs> so four times the word, they just now got the 60s. Uh, 1860s, it's great. Four times the word comfort or a form of the word comfort is used just in verse 4. And so uh, in English, we would never write it this way. It's why it's hard for us to even read it in English. But in Greek, it is written for emphasis' sake. So one, God comforts us all in our affliction or tribulation. And two, Paul and his companions, his, 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 uh, his co-workers, are recipients of the comfort from God. And they recognized that if they are afflicted, ha, ah, we're going to get more comfort than we need. That just means ministry's coming. This is one of the reasons why, and we've talked about it before, talked about it last week, count it all joy when you go through various troubles because you're getting ready to have a great opportunity to give that comfort away. And you can't give it away if you're not getting it. So I'm about to be comforted. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, if, if comfort is in proportion to affliction, then why don't we just bring affliction down? You know, right? Because you can't fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and grow in Christ-likeness without the sufferings of Christ. It's the only way to drown out the selfishness of the flesh is for it to suffer and for it to experience suffering. It's, it's God's mechanism so that the flesh can learn obedience to Christ too. Do we like it? No, and it's a good thing we don't depend on it anymore. It's a good thing that we have this now to depend on because, boy, can you imagine not being a Christian and being in affliction? Now that I can depend on the Spirit, I'm not looking for a better day now. I'm looking for an eternal hope in the kingdom. Now, whatever the, I mean, do whatever you want to this body. I'm going to be obedient to Christ. That's why you have men like Peter and Paul and John who could say, I don't know how to not preach Jesus. You'd say that name one more time, we're throwing you in prison. Well, we ought to obey God rather than men. So do whatever you want to do to us. 
beat us, throw us in, in prison. It doesn't matter. It just hastens our home going. I'm not interested in fleshly comfort. And you know what happens when Christians suffer? The lost world takes note of that and they're starving to death for it. I'm not saying that we should all have a martyr complex. I'm not saying that we all should you know, stick our neck out, hope to die. Not, not even a little bit. I mean, I don't want that even a little bit. But I know this. I know that there's a whole lot of obedience that we forego because it's uncomfortable. Is it uncomfortable? Is there in the Spirit an arena, an area, a decision that doesn't qualify for comfort? So when Christians say uncomfortable, we don't know what we're talking about. There, there is no such thing as uncomfortable. Unless we're depending on the flesh. So when we say, well, I shouldn't do that. People won't like me. My reputation, my whatever. We need to consult the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would say, remember who Jesus is. This isn't about you anymore. And there is such a peace that comes in the room when you remember that it's not about you anymore. That's all Paul's trying to say. You know, when you're 24, 48 hours on a piece of wood in the middle of the sea because of your faith, Paul had a lot of time to think out there and say, is this really worth it? But he had to get his mind right, his perspective. In fact, when Jesus, in chapter, John chapter 14, verse 26, he says, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. Where do you learn things? Do you learn things in your body? No, your body doesn't have the capacity to learn. Your mind is where you learn. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you things. And He's going to call up to your mind remembrances. Right? So the Holy Spirit's work, is He's already manifest in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is teaching me how to think right. How to think correctly. Teaching me the ministry of Jesus Christ in me. Reminding me of who I am in Jesus so that I can remind you of who you are in Jesus. And there are going to be people around you that are lost, and they don't know the Lord. They're going to experience tragedy, they're going to experience heartache, and they're going to experience pain, and the Spirit is not alive in them. And they're going to be forced to only deal with the comfort of the flesh. That's where you come in, is to be able to put your arm around them and remind them of who Jesus is. Your story won't work. Your testimony won't be enough, but Christ in you is. So when we say, I don't have a testimony, I don't have a story to tell, this isn't about your story. This is about conveying who Jesus is on your lips. So what Paul would say is, is that as the receiver of comfort, the receiver must turn into the transmitter. And that's where ministry really occurs. The God of all comfort. That means that the comfort that He gives still belongs to Him. The comfort that He gives us still belongs to Him. 
and it returns back to Him as you give that comfort away into someone else around you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul said, I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. Suffering, then, as an instrument in the hands of God to cause us to grow in our relationship with Christ so that we may know Him more deeply and we'd be more useful in His work. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know this very well. It says, uh, God is working all things together. For we know all things work together for good. Them who love God are called according to His purpose but the next verse expands that so all things work together for good so in a lot of ways God gets to determine what's good not our circumstance right we've talked about that time after time but in verse 29 it tells us what good is for those whom he foreknew and by the way that's all of us this isn't a predestination passage Well, it is, but for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So this passage isn't saying that God chose some for salvation and some not for salvation. It's saying for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means that every created human being, it is God's plan for them to look like Jesus. Some won't walk that path. Few will. And walking that path will require affliction so that the flesh can learn obedience and submission to the Father. But but don't worry. Even in affliction, there's more comfort than you need. And there's always going to be somebody one step behind you that you can turn around and comfort. Just make sure that you comfort them with true comfort. From the Holy Spirit. Remind them of who Jesus is. And what he's done in you. So Paul goes so far as to say. So. If we are afflicted. It's for your comfort. Because we're going to be afflicted. Which means that you're about to be afflicted. Which means you're going to need the comfort. We're going to be one step ahead. And it's going to be ministry in your pocket. To reach the region of Corinth. Verse 7, and we'll close. Our hope for you is unshaken. Paul, I mean, this church is, they're not great. Paul says, our hope for you is unshaken because we're being afflicted right now, which means there's ministry for you left. There's hope for you left because we're experiencing comfort to give away to you. So I want to encourage you, if there is affliction in your life or there ever has been affliction in your life, there's ministry in your pocket. But the ministry, as well as the comfort, belongs to the Lord. This will be the greatest testimony of our faith that we ever have. Is the words of Jesus on our lips. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we do not want to suffer. Uh, certainly not in the flesh. We don't even we don't pray to. But we do want to be comforted. And there are pains in our past that have not experienced your comfort. There are wounds that we're trying to figure and sort out every other way except being comforted by your Spirit because we don't want it. In a lot of ways, to receive your comfort would be for our identities to change. So, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts in regard to that. We ought not be identified by our wounds, but by Christ in us. And Lord, for the things that we're going through right now, the heart breaks, the heart aches, the fear that we experience from time to time, whatever that situation is that we dread. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us, help us to see Christ alive in us, and may we remember him. And Lord, when we hear, when people are vocal enough, and we're able to hear of pain and disappointment in people's lives around us, may we be quick to remind them of who you are, that you understand and that you're there. And we're testimonies of your presence. Lord, thank you for giving us. We do count it all joy as we go through various troubles, trials and tribulations, because you've put ministry in our pocket. You're causing us in every arena that we are to look more like Jesus. And for that, we are grateful. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be reconciled to you and that we would be reconcilers of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.